Eric. Sorry about that. Here you go. What's up, man? Not much. Doing well. What, uh, how are you feeling about the, the streaking Philadelphia 76ers? I mean, I think they're starting to look like the team that I expect them to look like. Uh, I will say before the season started, the team I expect them to look like was a team that could win 55, 56 games and still lose in the second round of playoffs. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'm necessarily convinced that they are a championship contender, but I think they have that kind of upside. I'm just not ready to fully buy in. And by that, do you mean that they've yet to tap that or that this group, when clicking in the right matchups, will be able to do that? It's just a matter of we have to get to April and figure that out. Yes, to both. Uh, you know, I think there's still some that I need to see James Harden succeed against Boston and Milwaukee. And when those teams are dialed in, you know, I will say their last two wins against the Clippers and the Knicks have been uh, good wins. You know, this eight-game winning streak, a lot of those have been, uh, you know, against substandard competition. But those last two were good wins. But there's still just a, I need to see James Harden at this stage of his career uh, do it physically. Like, I'm just not convinced he can do what he needs to do physically for them to be an elite team. And it's not like I think they're a bad team or a mediocre team. It's just if you want to be a, you know, the final two teams contending or if even the final four teams, uh, I still have my question marks. And it, it is part that I just need to see it. Like I said, when the great defenses are ramped up to 100% for a seven game series. I will say, like the last eight games, they've looked better than I probably would have expected. So I think they're on the right path, but I need to be convinced still. Have you watched enough of Brooklyn to play the comparison game, or are you just locked in on on the home team? No, I mean I've certainly watched uh, watched some Brooklyn. Sure, sure. Because uh, I, I I didn't see the Nets in a while, and I I checked them out last night against Cleveland, and holy shit! Like when you talk to Nets people in the summer, and they were saying they basically like. We're, we're outwardly saying they were not panicking and we're putting together a roster that we think will ultimately be the best offense in the league with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving when healthy and happy. And like, that is what they seem to be doing right now. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, look, when, whenever you have Kevin Durant and you're not a, a shit show, you have a chance. Uh, and Kevin Durant with the way he's playing, I, I, I certainly still give them a chance. I, I almost not for basketball related reasons at all, but I need to see them stay together for a whole year, uh, especially when adversity hits. And also I do still have a, a healthy dose of skepticism. Like right now they're a, they're a top 10 defense in the league right now. I don't buy that. Like when I watch them, I see, I see Nick, Nick Claxton for sure. And I see Ben Simmons for sure. Outside of that, I just don't see enough quality defenders that I think they're going to be able to, you know, like a, the inverse of what I said with the Sixers, I don't think they're going to stop people in the playoffs. I still need to be convinced a little bit of that. And I think it's tough to play Claxton and, and, and Simmons at the same time because of the positional overlap and the lack of shooting. So mm -hmm. even getting your two best defenders on the court in the playoffs when teams can scheme against them, I think is going to be tough. But when you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving offensively, you have a chance. You're going to be scary. I still need to buy them as a uh, both, both a team that can stay together and a team that can defend at a high level when it matters. But their, so I mean, their offense is undeniable and, and scary. So I, I'm just guessing here, but it sounds like off the top, behind Boston and Milwaukee, you kind of do believe in Philly a bit more than you believe in Brooklyn. Is that a wrong estimation? Um, 
No, I would I would probably put Philly ahead of Brooklyn in terms of probability. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And to me, I think that's 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 all really this organization has been aiming for, right? Like down to the the literal odds that Daryl Morey focuses on to Embiid and Harden being purportedly aligned and wanting to win their first championship and Doc Rivers leaving a Clippers pseudo rebuild into the Kawhi Paul George era because they just weren't finding a, a formula that was moving forward there and, and wanting to n- never be a part of a rebuild team dating back to when he left Boston, sure. Boston to go to the Clippers. Um, so, so they are kind of just in that periphery of, of championship contention that, that I mean, that, that, that is where you see them right now. Yeah. There's they're certainly like, if you had to list the five, six, seven teams that have a legitimate chance, they are in there. Uh, I'm just not ready to give them like when we start talking about that, you'll have some teams that maybe have a 20, 25% chance. And those are the really good teams. And then some teams that might have a 5% chance, maybe a 10% chance on a good day. And I think the Sixers and Brooklyn some fall somewhere in that single digit, uh, maybe high single digit range. Whereas maybe someone like Boston, you'd give them a 25, 30% chance of winning the title. So yeah, I think they're, they're in the teams that matter. Um, but I still need to be convinced of more. I mean, like I said, I picked this game to win, or I picked this team to finish with both a, a I think I, I picked a top six offense and defense for them to win 56 games. So I, I thought they would have a lot of regular season success, uh, which is why the start of the season was a little bit weird and strange and not what we were all expecting. But I think there was always going to be a time throughout the course of the season where they went on a eight, 10 game winning streak uh, and looked dominant uh, and convinced you that they were contenders, uh, like true, legit contenders. And the question now is, you know, what happens when we get to the point where teams can scheme and game plan? Like the, the playoffs are just so different that there is almost nothing they can do short of postseason success that will convince me they are the favorites. So contender, yes. Favorites, I'm, I'm not there yet for sure. And that was why I wanted to write about Shake Milton. and. Um, I don't think he is like the straw that stirs the Sixers drink, although that was the headline of the story. But I do think he is one of those X Factor pieces that we saw in game two of that fateful Hawk series that led to the Ben Simmons demise, right? We scored 14 points and kind of yep. was a massive momentum swinger um, in terms of bench offensive creation. Um, when the team needed it. And to me, I mean, again, I don't follow this team as closely as you do, um, but to me, from afar, he's looked far more comfortable in terms of the balance of everything that he's balancing. Being someone who needs to be a scorer and a creator and an attacker while also kind of being told to stay in your lane and not step on other people's toes, i.e. James Harden or Tyrese Maxey when healthy, and even Anthony Melton to a certain extent, how well he's been playing this year. Um, it just seems like he has figured out the rhythm to whatever madness he needs to bring in terms of a controlled madness that makes the defense go mad, not Sixers coachings and his teammates. Um, do you feel that? Do you see that? What's kind of your um, analysis on his progression now Now in his fifth year uh, with this team and a super uh, um, 
don't know. He he, he kind of just is like the longest tenured sixer behind Joel Embiid. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think I think maybe Furkan might have him edged out, but you start getting into reserve wings when you start making that <laughs> list for sure. Uh, and when you the way you describe that, make the make the other team mad, not your coach. It really sounded like you were talking about Paul Reed because that's exactly exactly <laughs> what Paul needs to do to stay in the, the regular rotation. Um, yeah, look, I think I think Shake is one of the more important swing players, uh, players who could either uh, really help the Sixers. Uh, or, or who could you know struggle? Uh, and, and I think this team needs more players of his ilk, players who can can shoot off the catch and can play sort of an off-ball role next to you know not only Harden but also Maxi when he comes back, but who can also then create some offense, run some pick and roll, make good decisions, push push the tempo a little bit. They have been short on ball handlers for I mean, pretty much the entirety of my life. Uh, and as somebody who grew up in the Philadelphia area, that's there's outside of AI, that's more true than it should be. But certainly during this run, like you go back to the Josh Richardson, Al Horford years, they just did not have enough people who could create off the dribble. And not only people who could, you know, dribble the ball competently, but who had any kind of passing creativity. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me when Shake, you know, when everybody was down and Shake Milton and DeAnthony Milton were, were pretty much his team's entire half court offense, which was, you know, a good stretch of that, you know, November portion of the schedule. One of the things that stood out was he was passing way better than I had ever seen him pass. He was creating off pick and roll, finding big men rolling to the hoop, you know, having those kind of lanes for wraparound passes and, 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 and just really creating efficient shots for his teammates. We never really saw that when we saw him sort of come on the scene back in 2020, right before the, uh, the pandemic hit, it was as a, a individual scorer. It was him shooting off of the screen uh, and really lighting teams up, especially the really notable one was the Clippers um, out in Los Angeles when Doc was still there. But he was he was having a lot of success, and it was a revelation because the Sixers fans at that time were used to a point guard who never shot. Uh, so <laughs> he has really grown into a all-around player. There is a bit of a learning curve for him to be aggressive when he's not going to have the ball and run 20 pick-and-rolls in game, and I think that's been a struggle to adapt for him. I think he's been doing a better job lately, especially um, the last couple of weeks when Harden has been back of finding ways to attack and transition and early offense um, and being able to get driving lanes because of that, because he's been real aggressive in searching those out. You know, I do think he still has enough of a catch and shoot. His, his, I don't have him in front of me, but I'm pretty sure his catch and shoot numbers were pretty low last year. But outside of that, he's always been a high 30s, low 40s catch and shoot three point shooter. That's key. But they need him to be more than just that because he can sort of get lost in the shuffle of a game when he does that. And he can bring more to the table. And this is a Sixers team who now all of a sudden you, you wake up and they have Harden and Maxi, and they have a little bit of that shot creation and that scoring from the perimeter. Uh, but they still need somebody to run those bench units. Uh, they still need somebody to really run an offense because as good as Tyrese Maxey is, he's not a great passer. That's why I think Shake Milton uh, sort of developing and showing more as a passer is is pretty key for this team. He's been... They really need that, you know, they have three really good guards in Maxi Harden and Melton. Having a fourth would be a real luxury that this team just hasn't had in a long time. When Maxi comes back, is that I I know listening to our friends at the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, Spike and Mike, that they're very concerned about the ample lineup configuration with Maxi's return. Is that something you're concerned about at all? Is that something you're thinking about at all? I mean, it is a thing that just teams have to consider all the time. To me, it's pretty routine, and it's not like uh, there's any seismic shift occurring, and it's only a benefit to the team. But any notion of 
taking PJ Tucker out and put and putting DeAnthony Melton in there, um, and and how that will impact. I mean, guard depth is all of a sudden a, a real strength for this team when you have Harden kind of running the show, then Maxi, then Melton, then Shake. Um, what's, what 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 say you about how you think bringing back a player like Tyrus Maxi will will impact things and, and the current uh, structure of the rotation? Yeah. No, I've I've seen a lot of people suggest everything from PJ Tuck going to the bench and starting uh, Melton to even sending Tyrese Maxey to the bench and starting basically the, the starting lineup that's playing right now and and bringing Maxey in as sort of like a super sub. I think Maxey's probably too I mean, I think he is too talented. You can't really limit his minutes. Like you don't want to cut back on those minutes. You want him out on the court as much as possible. The only real reason I would give that even a tiny bit of credence is maybe you know, I think a lo- there's a lot of concern over in, in Sixers land over the Maxi Harden backcourt holding up defensively. And maybe if you want to say, okay, well, you're still going to have to play Maxi and Harden together a lot, but maybe play them against bench units. I can maybe see that a little bit. But ultimately, I think Maxi and Harden need to figure out a way to play together. And if you're going to do that and start sort of like that, that small backcourt and that defensively challenged backcourt, I actually do think PJ Tucker's role on his team to be the guy who can defend, you know, Jason Tatum a little bit. Not that anyone's really stopping Tatum, but who can at least make his life difficult, who can defend. Um, you know, Kevin Durant, and he did a real good job against Kevin Durant a couple weeks back. Um, I think you need somebody, to, I think you need that size uh, and that defensive tenacity on that size. So I think the, the real thing is to get PJ Tucker, you know, back. Um, he's been sort of dealing with uh, a little bit of a loss in sensation in his hand. Um, fix that. And if that means sending him to the bench for a month and, and starting Melton or even Milton, and, and I feel bad for, um, broadcasters having to say that because I almost screwed that up myself. Um, if that means starting one of them while you give Tucker some time off, great. But I think at the end of the day, when you know you brought in PJ Tucker to be a playoff player, I think at the end of the day, Doc Rivers is going to want him in that starting lineup for that defense. And quite frankly, if you're starting Harden and Maxi and Embiid and Harris, you should have enough offensive firepower where all you need him to do is stand in the corner, shoot when he's open, uh, and that is about it. You just need him to get back to the point where he's actually taking those shots instead of passing up those shots because he has not been doing that. If that's the hand, then get that right. But I think long-term, I expect Doc Rivers to keep him in the starting lineup. What alterations do you think the front office, or have you heard the front office is looking at here um, out of the deadline? I, I think in the buzzier names are Tobias Harris, uh, who – will continue to be discussed at nauseum until um, he is either moved or until his contract expires, which um, I am looking now. Yeah, it expires what I, what I thought at the end of next season, 23-24. Um, Matisse Tybel's name has certainly been out there dating back to this past summer um, where he clearly became a, a net negative, I think, in postseason play. Um, I mean, that's what it seems like his value became around the league, um, that his inability to provide a punch offensively, especially around this team and around Joel Embiid, and shooting is so premium to space around his, his touches inside um, and at the elbow and all that. Um, and him being a restricted for agent next year, uh, what, what do you expect? What do you think they should do? What have you heard? The floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably – I'm going to say this knowing that I'm I'm probably going to get a bit just by saying it. I think it's probably going to be a relatively quiet trade deadline for the Sixers. Like I don't oh, think I they're pro- I don't think they're probably and I know saying that now is probably going to be a chaos, which is fine. I can cover chaos. 
I've been covering this team long enough. Um, <laughs> and you have a book on pretty much dedicated to that chaos. I, I think Tobias is going to be still going to be tough to move because right now, if you trade Tobias, you actually need basketball players back because he is filling a role that you need. And I think it's going to be tough to do that this trade deadline. I think that becomes easier in the summer. Yeah. Well, let me pause you there because I think that's a really important point in that. Sure. Is he getting paid above what his market value is for his production? Yes. But it's going to be damn hard to find any player who is as good as he is and will be willing and happy to enter that situation and be basically the fourth option on that team behind two pretty ball-dominant you know, superstars in Joel Embiid and James Harden. Yeah, he he's – and look, I think there's been a lot of valid criticism over Tobias over the year. A lot of it comes back down to that contract. He was just never going to live up to it. But I think when you looked at – and a lot of Sixers fans have been clamoring for this. When you look at him – and what you need from him when you were playing alongside those three ball-dominant scorers, you needed a lot more spot-up shooting. You needed him to continue firing away, even when he hit a cold slump. And you needed him to defend better. And I think he's gone through that checklist and knocked them all out of the park. Like, he is shooting more than he ever has in terms of, of, of you know, number of his shots coming from three-point line. is. Three point rate per or three point attempts per minute, I think, is at or near a career high. He's making them, and he's his decision making has gotten a lot quicker. And he's playing. You know, is he ever going to be JJ Redick? No, but he's creating more shots off of movement, off of off ball movement, than I've ever seen him do. And we combine all of that. Like he is filling. He's he's not. Yes, he's overpriced and he hurts your cap, but he's filling a, a necessary role. And the only real way that I would trade Tobias Harris is if you just felt like there was no chance that you were going to get James Harden back at a deal you could live with in the summer. And that you really thought he could be a threat to leave because if you can trade Tobias Harris for a large chunk of expiring contract right now at this deadline, um, then you could actually be a player in free agency. Again, you could pivot like that, but that's a completely different conversation. I don't expect him to go down that road because I think, first of all, I think, you know, Daryl Morey wants James Harden here long-term. And second of all, they they feel like they're contenders and they should be. So they're going to do what they what is best on the basketball court this season. And best yeah. on the basketball court this season, I just I'm I'm not certain you're going to find a trade to your liking with Tobias Harris. You mentioned the Harden thing, so let's get into it. Um, as I wrote on Sunday, and to be clear, when I woke up Sunday morning and decided not to go to Sixers Knicks at MSG after ten days on the road. Um, to hang out with my loved one. Um, I, I don't think, um, I don't think that this is something that is truly prevalent on Sixers decision makers minds right now. It was definitely a thing that was really being talked about last summer. And this being James Harden's apparent interest in potentially returning to Houston one day. And, you know, in the early stages where people are whispering and chattering and people are gossiping and it's not even confound or founded in anything, there were plenty of rival executives who were like, hey, like, man, Philly, you know, Daryl held out for James. Like, oh, maybe this thing will blow up in their face and they're going to come. They're going to try to squeeze James on money and then he's just going to bolt to Houston. So 
like that's that it's probably been a thing that's been discussed and I wrote like Nets people were considering him wanting to go back to Houston before he even requested the trade to go to Philly. So his interest or his apparent interest, whatever you want to call it, is is nothing new. But it coming up ahead of this summer obviously is. And look, there was never, I don't believe, I don't think any side of this two-year deal that he signed with the next year being a player option. I don't think anyone really entered that agreement expecting him to pick that up. Right. And there was always going to be two sides or multiple sides. If you include Michael Rubin, whoever is in the negotiating room, figuring out another deal after this season. Um, So will there be some gamesmanship to try to get some money on the back end after, uh, you know, doing whatever the league found they did that was worthy of docking two second round picks? Probably. And, there's definitely belief around the league, let's say, that the Rockets would be willing to take James Harden back with open arms. So, and they're going to have the cap space for it. So, even if that's antithetical to the 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 general thought of like, why would you want to bring James Harden into a rebuild that is currently starring two young backcourt players and Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green? That's besides the point. All this is to say. To what you said, Daryl, or Daryl, Derek, about how about how Daryl bank account definitely does not agree with that. Yeah, but to what you said about how Daryl wants him here long term, yes, I mean that's been consistent all along, and I am not sitting here on December twenty seventh like I was December twenty seventh, twenty twenty one, where I was thinking, man, the whispers about Harden potentially wanting to get out of Brooklyn and looking at Philly are not going away. Yeah. I'm not sitting here thinking that that's going to be the case before this trade deadline or even next summer. Like, sure, can anything happen? Yeah. Can this team flame out in the second round, like you mentioned, it's just a disaster and things don't go well? And, you know, worst case scenario, like everyone gets fired? Yeah. But I think the most likely scenario is that this team remains competitive. I mean, as they're streaking right now, that's why we're talking about them primarily. Um, and that Harden is back in Philadelphia and the Rockets were merely a potential boogeyman that were looming over those discussions and not anything, you know, truly uh, earth shattering from Philly standpoint of things. Is that, I mean, yeah. I'll end my rant there and, and just kind of let you respond. No, I think that's 100% on point. Um, you know, starting off that contract he signed last year, nobody looked at it as a real two-year deal, as a one-year deal with a little bit of catastrophic injury insurance just in case something happened. Like if he blew out a knee, would he opt into it? Maybe, but that was like legitimately the only way. Uh, so it's always been something where, you know, they were going to have to negotiate uh, before next summer, or I'm sorry, during next summer, exactly on um, <laughs> July 1st. And, you know, I think the sign here from Harden is is clear. Like he is going to still want to get paid. You're not going to get him back on a discount again this year. In order to do that, you have to have a little bit of leverage. Um, in order for a team to have leverage, like finding a team that wants you with cap space is step one of getting that leverage. And then making that a realistic place that you could bolt to is step two of that leverage. You wouldn't look at Houston normally and say that is a team in a life cycle that should be pursuing James Harden, but it's not quite as cut and dry. 
you know, we had your own Weitzman on our podcast um, last week. Your own also, if there's three people writing process books, it's pretty much me, you, and him. Um, your own pretty much said, like, one of the things that was left off of his recent report on Harden was that he really does miss Houston a lot. Like, his family is pretty much all moved there in Houston. He likes the city. He likes the lifestyle. He likes um, everything about playing basketball there. Um, so I think that is where the sort of threat gets a little stronger or where James Harden gains a little bit of leverage. But does that mean he would prefer Houston over here? I don't know. And I, quite honestly, like, I think we'll have to see the, the, the season play out. I don't think he's at a point where he's looking to get out of Philly. But I think if things don't go right, like, you know, that's going to factor into it. Um, you know, I think it was in the ESPN report that mentioned that, um, you know, the, the friendship with Embiid and, and sort of like the relationship with Harden or with, uh, with Doc is sort of a little more businesslike. Um, and look, if end of the season comes around and Doc Rivers is an issue, would Daryl Morey fire him to appease Harden? Yeah, probably. I don't think that's going to be a sticking point in Harden being there long term. Um, so I think we've got to see how all this plays out, whether they reach their upside, what Harden's mindset is in, in playing alongside of Joel Embiid and what he thinks the championship equity is there. Um, and also like what Houston would do with all that cap space, all those young players, all those draft picks, whether they win the lottery, like there's a lot to play out. But I think the reason this comes out now is because, you know, he needs leverage and Houston is the most viable one to give him leverage because I think there is actually a little bit of interest there. I'm just not ready to panic and say that his interest is in leaving Philly. I think right now it's a mostly leverage play. So on a more day-to-day level um, of things we actually think will happen. <laughs> um, I mean, the smaller, I mean, you, you said it and I, I believe I agreed with you. If I, if I didn't already voice that agreement, I will say it now that I think they'll be looking more on the margins of things um, where that's kind of been historically the, the tinkerings that, uh, Maury's regimes have done dating back to Houston in, in midseason. Um, and Furkan Korkmaz hardly playing right now for this team or inconsistent in his usage off the bench on the, on the hook for another 5.3 million next year. Um, definitely been a name I've heard rival teams speculate as someone to be looked to move, especially, I believe, uh, you would know better than me. I'm trying to find it. They're like a little bit over the tax, right? And if there's a way to, to trim. Yeah, they're like a million and a half, I think. Yeah, there's a way to trim it to get, you know, a $4 million player back or so for Furcon. Um, that was something that uh, a cap-leaning person suggested to me. Um, yeah. Your thoughts there? I mean, do I really care too much about Josh Harris's tax bill? No, not really. But they made two decisions there at the end of training camp in waiving Charles Bassey and waiving Isaiah Joe, which got them closer to being under that uh, under that tax line. Yeah, I could certainly see them looking to shed a million and a half or whatever it is, uh, if it means not paying the tax, um, resetting the clock on the repeater tax. Uh, that's certainly a possibility. Uh, I think the names that you've mentioned there, Furcon, mostly for salary. Uh, Thibel, if there's a team looking to acquire him and his his bird rights heading into free agency, I think those are the two names that would probably be dangled the most. Is that going to bring you back something earth-shattering? No, um, but those are sort of like the mid-level salary, not mid-level, but like middle-of-the-pack salary fillers that would be made to facilitate a deal. Uh, I think I would list them as the most likely to be included. Um, the Sixers are just a little bit limited in what they have to trade. Um, you know, they don't have first round draft picks to trade 
they do have a pretty high, I think it's maybe Charlotte second round draft pick. That's not going to get you too much, you know, six months in advance or four months in advance of the NBA draft. Uh, most of their, their young players are either someone like Tyrese Maxey, who's, you know, borderline untouchable, or someone like Furkan, who's, you know, just not going to get you all that much. Um, yeah, or or someone like the 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 real two players that they have that have real positive trade value, someone like Maxi and someone like Melton, and they're both so vital to what the Sixers do. It just gets tough to sort of like construct a uh, moving the pieces around kind of trade. And Melton is on such a good deal. Yeah, Only... and he, he fits he fits both Maxi exceptionally well, and he fits you know, for the long term, and he fits uh, Harden exceptionally well uh, for the short term. That he would be real tough to. I'd be stunned if they moved him yeah so that's to say not expecting major tinkering which means and as you said earlier Derek probably will be a lot <laughs> no yep. I'm just kidding. I, I I'd be floored if there's a maxi move I think the one thing to consider with maxi moving forward is just that it, as it pertains to our earlier Harden uh discussion I mean he's going to be extension eligible mm-hmm. and I mean it's gonna it's gonna be a big number are we are we talking Jordan Poole money or are we talking more than that? You know, it remains to be seen. Um, but adding those two salaries onto the books, I mean, they the maxi deal wouldn't kick in until 24, which is when Harris's contract, uh, if, if not moved, will finally melt off the books here. Um, but then you'll, you'll have Joel Embiid with a 0.6 estimated salary right now. Who knows what it'll be as we get closer to a new TV deal. I don't even know if the <laughs> cap changed uh, too, too drastically off that estimation, but who's to say what type of smoothing or whatever will come into, I mean, 2024 is a long time from now, even though we're only four days away from 23. Um, there's a lot of big big picture discussions to have between the league and the CBA and the network broadcasters, but that'll be a lot of money, at least 50 million. And then whatever new deal Harden will theoretically have, PJ Tucker will assuredly be opting into his 11.5 million barring ridiculously unforeseen circumstances. So that's also to say, I, I understand. And I, I see, I said this, I think last week too, I forgot on which show, um, but Sometimes fans and media alike will kind of crush the ownership group for trying to duck attacks, and not. And sometimes it actually is in preparation. I I believe maybe I'm just being uh, I'm I'm just swallowing the the company line here, but I, I do see the value of or the the respectability, let's say, of ducking the tax now because you know you're going to pay it for three straight years moving forward. You know, so that type of stuff does impact like to, uh, not paying the tax or paying the tax next year and the year after and the year after paying it in 24 and 25 and 26 can impact 2022 decision-making a lot. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, all right, Derek, this has been awesome. Uh, anything you want to ask me, anything you want to plug before you get out of here? Um, I'll, I'll just, I'll just step aside and, and let you take the mic. Oh, uh, no. I mean, I think, I think for the most part, uh, most of the questions I had, you had touched there. Uh, in the, the, the previous bit. Um, no, I appreciate you uh, having me on. Appreciate always getting back in touch with the old LB group. Uh, it has been a, a fun little ride here. Congrats to you on all your success. I think you're at a great spot for your skill set. Uh, and Thank I'm excited you. to see what you do. Thank you, man. I, uh, I've enjoyed my spot and I have enjoyed 
all the work you've done on this team, both on your own, then for the athletic, then back on your own. Do you want to give uh, any little details on the Daily Six or anything like that? Well, first, uh, of course, go 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 buy Built to Lose if you haven't already. Go pick that up uh, wherever books <laughs> yeah, are when's sold. Your book, when's your book coming? Yeah, we'll see. I'm George R. R. Martining this thing. Uh, <laughs> we will see. We will see. Um, there are there are reasons why I'm holding out until we get a little farther into the uh, into the distance and the process becomes further back in the rearview mirror. That will happen one day. It just might be on my deathbed. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm taking my time on that one. Um, no, I mean, like my all of my Sixers coverage is over at DailySix.com. Uh, also have a a podcast with Rich Hoffman of the Athletic uh, that is distributed through the Athletic uh, that is called Sixers Beat. Those are the only two things I would really plug. But really. Go pick up Built to Lose. That is more important than anything I am doing. Very kind of you. Um, I just sent out eight copies to people that I met or more deeply connected with at the showcase. Um, they're very, very discounted anywhere books are sold online. So, And next uh, time, don't skip that trip to Philly. I don't care about your story, but you know we have to catch up. What was the trip to the Garden? Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot it was a Knicks game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair point. Did, fair point. When I made my trip to Philly to sit down with shake and get an unexpected amount of time with Joel Embiid. Um, you were not there. So, yeah. Yeah. That was, I don't, I don't remember what happened. I think I had a family thing I had to go to anyway. Well, we will catch up shortly for sure, man. Always good. Thanks again. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back on Thursday um, with set part now, uh, fellow Colin host, great, the athletic uh, analytics mind. And then, I'm working on a guest for Friday. I did three this week because I only did one last week. So thank you. Happy holidays. Take care. See you soon.